Hello, and welcome to League of Josh podcast. My name is Joshua, and I am your host. This episode was recorded on May 25th, 2021. Today, I'm joined by Matthew Primrose. Prim and I have known each other for about five years now. I first met Prim at a Pursuit Volley youth camp when he was the oldest camper at the ripe age of 19. Since then, I have come to understand why a 19-year-old would pay to play with a bunch of 12 to 17-year-olds. In short, it was sheer determination and triumph of the will. Later that year, Prim would walk on to play with the University of Lethbridge Kodiak's men's volleyball team, earning a starting spot and winning a provincial silver medal during his time there. Prim then chose to step outside of his comfort zone and move to Saskatoon, where he made an instant impact with the University of Saskatchewan Huskies. Prim is now finishing his studies in history and sociology, entering into an honors of history next year. In this episode, Prim and I discuss resilience and determination, as well as the importance of learning about the past to best influence our future. I can comfortably say that Prim is one of the hardest workers and best teammates I've been blessed to share the court with. I hope that you enjoy in sharing our conversation. Okay, so I'm sitting here with Matthew Primrose and Primer Matthew. Prim? Yeah, Prim's good, yeah. Okay, yeah. Prim. <laughs> I'm, I'm super chill about anything. Yeah. Prim is a alumni at Lethbridge College as a Kodiak yep. volleyball player. And yep. what medal did you get at Nationals while you were there? Oh, man, Nationals. Yeah, we didn't make it that far. <laughs> no? Um, no. So, yeah, I think my, my last year there, we made it to the provincial final. But because Red Deer was hosting, mm-hmm. um, they automatically got a bye. So, you essentially, you had to win provincials, and we lost to Keanu in the final. So, uh, we ended up getting a silver medal, silver medal at provincials. Um, I think, any, like, obviously, any other year, we would have got to nationals and, and hopefully done pretty well. But, uh, but yeah, unfortunately, just made a, just got a silver medal. <laughs> Was that <laughs> in the past couple of years? Yeah. They yep. went to nationals then? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I thought uh, you were sorry. Playing. Sorry. No, they, uh, so again, last year they hosted Provs, like Lethbridge College did. Yeah. Um, or I guess like the last season that was available to play, like right. not this COVID season. Um, so yeah, Lethbridge hosted Provincials. And again, they lost in the finals. And then they went to Nationals. And I think they got fourth, third or fourth, something like that. So yeah, okay. that, was, uh, that was the last season. But I, unfortunately, I was, uh, I was with the – unfortunately or fortunately, I was with the University of Saskatchewan Huskies. So. Right. I thought you were still part of that group. but No, unfortunately not. Mistake. Yeah. I make a lot of those. That's right. So thanks for being patient. All right. So now, yeah, segueing into the next part of your life, now you're a participant of the University of Saskatchewan Huskies men's volleyball team, and right. you're currently taking a major in history with a minor in sociology and going yep. into your history honors next year. Correct, yep, yep. So today we'll be talking a little bit about volleyball and the pursuit of greatness, in your case, both <laughs> athletic and academic, Beauty. and where you came from how you started to play volleyball, how you got into the collegiate stream. And then towards the end, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about history as that's your passion. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good, man. All right. Let's start off with the small town grinders, the (laughs) both dying breed and up and coming breed. I think it seems the small town attitude is becoming more and more successful in, especially volleyball. Mm -hmm. As I Mm -hmm. look at the provincial rankings and, I see that the small towns are coming back up. It was about 10 years ago that Lethbridge would be in the finals consistently and 
then that kind of died off throughout my age group and mm -hmm. now it's starting to come back again. So can you tell me a little bit about your experience getting into volleyball and then being the scrappy small town chip on your shoulder team always <laughs> for some reason? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, it, it was crazy because, so I grew up in Lethbridge, Alberta. Um, and in Lethbridge and Southern Alberta in general during my time frame. So like I grad I graduated high school in 2015. Uh, the sports of choice were really basketball and football. So a lot of my friends, um, you know, went to scholarships for both basketball and football. And that was kind of the thing. Volleyball wasn't really like quote unquote cool during that time frame. Um, mm -hmm. And there wasn't anybody, at least from LCI, that I could really look up to in the past couple of years that had gone to go play post-secondary volleyball. Um, the only guy that I know from Lethbridge that did that was Keith West, and he went to Chinook. Um, and Keith was like <laughs> this freak of nature, amazing yeah. volleyball player, right? Like he was just so naturally gifted. Um, it was hard to try to compare myself to him because he was just, you know, that, that, that good. Um, so it wasn't a lot of, I don't know, I guess knowledge about the sport in, sense, in the sense of trying to go post-secondary or how to go about it. Um, so a lot of us that were like passionate about the game really didn't have you know, like an idea or an opportunity, I guess, to, to go right away. So I ended up, uh, how I got to the college, I ended up actually taking a year off from sport. Um, not that I was getting recruited in the first place. Like I wasn't, <laughs> people should know this. Like I was a middle in high school for my high school team, which is like a 318, which is absurd to think about because... <laughs> Yeah, like, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. Um, so, obviously, I wasn't getting recruited by anybody, uh, not even college teams. And so, I, I ended up just taking a year off, and I thought I was done with sports because if no one was coming down, knocking down my door, which I thought well, that's how it kind of worked, um, I guess I wasn't good enough to go, so I'll just go to university. So, I started in, like, the pre-education program at University of Lethbridge, thinking I wanted to be a teacher. And about halfway through, kind of into January or February, I just really thought, like, man, this sucks. <laughs> and I'm not like, I'm not dogging university life because I actually love the University of Lethbridge. But there's a part of me that was missing something. And I eventually found out that that part was, was volleyball. I just wanted, I missed the, the, the competitiveness about it. And I don't know, like the culture around it was, was, was fun because some of your best friends come from sport, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, the next like five to seven months, I just continually like grinded, like you're saying, like the small town, small town grinder. <laughs> um, my one friend, Keen Josettis, he was trying to make the basketball team at the college. And I, my plan was, I'll get in shape because I was out of shape. Um, I'll play a bunch of beach because there's no courts that you can play on Lethbridge, really. Like you could just like, it's crazy. Like in Edmonton, you can just go play rec volleyball. In Lethbridge, that's a very, 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 even today, it's, it's still, it's beginning to pick up, but it's still quite a rarity. And so there's some beach happening during the summer that, you know, I'll just try to get some touches. My plan was just to walk onto the college and then, uh, you know, kind of by the grace of God, I guess that kind of happened <laughs> in the end that I, I was able to walk on, but there's a lot of, a lot of moving pieces in between that that allowed that to happen so yeah i don't know it, it was it was very tough and i think 
you know, I had to kind of give up my education in a sense at that point because um, I did leave the University of Lethbridge and, and, you know, go to the college and kind of start my way from the bottom and work my way to the top again. So um, it was very daunting, but it was super, super worth it, obviously, because it's kind of worked out in the end. But yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of how I made it to the college at least. Okay. So you start off in the middle and for anyone who's not well-versed in volleyball, the middle is the big tall guy that big tall guy. Yeah. <laughs> that can't really pass or in my experience, I played with Sam Taylor Parks, who is probably one of the, the best middle passers I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> but normally you can't pass. You can't really play defense. You stay out of the back row. And yeah. that's what you played. And now you are a very high-level libero, which is only in the back row. So you've done a little bit of a 50-50 swap. Yeah. And yeah. That, was your, that was your college. You did win a provincial championship in 3A. No, so we God damn we it. didn't even we. It's all right, man. It's okay. Um, Are you on your zone? We went to the zone final again. The thing is, Josh, you're you're thinking that I'm some like elite dude. Um, I never won a darn thing. I don't think in uh, in anything in volleyball. But that's okay. Um, just just stabbing at me a little. No, it's fine. A lot of silvers. Um, yeah, a lot of silvers. Yeah. So we went to we went to the zone final again. And for whatever reason, the zone champion won or uh, got to go to prom. And uh, yeah, we faced McGrath. And so a great athlete in Carter Hansen, uh, I played with at the college. I think he's the kill leader for the ACAC, like all time, or like Lethbridge College, something like that. So very talented individual. He was on the McGrath team and, uh, and ended up uh, beating us. And then in my grade 12 year, I don't even think we had a, a shot at going to, going to Provs, but that's okay. You okay, know, on your Instagram, we, we there's moved. a photo of you holding a banner. Where's that from? That's so we were dominant at basketball, man. Okay, <laughs> we so were we were good at basketball. Fan. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, so we were we were a good school at basketball. I think um, so. We won our zones, and then uh, and then I think we came third in provincials uh, against like some dominant some dominant Edmonton and Calgary teams. So. Uh, yeah, that's that's where that photo's from. Unfortunately, okay, so I'm I'm only mostly wrong then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're still like you're yeah you're in the ballpark. Yeah, that'll feed my ego a little bit. I didn't stray yeah, yeah. completely. Uh, <laughs> so, on that same vein of thought, you start off as a middle, end up playing libero in right. college and university, and along that way, you take a year off of volleyball because no one recruited you, and then right. you decide through force of sheer will changing your shape from circle to box or rectangle <laughs> you yeah, end yeah. up walking on and being a starter on the college team so right i don't think it would be unreasonable for me to insinuate that you shouldn't be here at least from the perspective of others lots of people would look at you and say well obviously they waved you off for a few years and yeah only through triumph of the will you were able to thwart the statements of you shouldn't be here so how do you deal with that right. now and <clears throat> how do you carry that with you um that's a good question i mean it was always just my passion it was something i wanted to do and i really just set that goal um to try to go as far in the sport as i could and so i had a lot of help along the way or a lot of people that did support me right so like my mom <laughs> you're gonna get me emotional here but um, my mom is like my biggest support in my life, right? I think 
you know, there are so many people, even when I was trying to, um, or I was thinking about walking onto the college and like dropping out of university and, and, you know, going to left, going to Lethbridge college. There's so many people that are like, I don't know, man, like <laughs> five-year degree, you can be set, you can start a family, do all this stuff. It'll be super, super easy. But my mom was like, whatever you want to do in your life, you have to go out and do that. So she was my biggest support. Uh, without her, I don't think, well, I know for a fact none of this is possible. So I just kind of kept that in mind. Like as long as she was like a supporting factor in this, um, I knew that whatever I was trying to achieve, it couldn't be wrong, right? I don't think if you can try to chase your passion and it's truly your passion, I don't know if that ever can be considered wrong. So for the people that, I don't know, kind of thought you shouldn't be here, you're not good enough, or there's X, Y, Z as to why, I don't know, you shouldn't be here. I don't, it's going to sound arrogant, but I don't really care about their opinion. <laughs> because it, like it's not it's not their life right i i don't worry about what they're doing in in their in their daily life um in fact like more power to you like if you want to try to prove me wrong or or you know dig me off the court or whatever like go out go out and try to do that um but yeah i think my 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 circle is small for a reason and so um those that do support me show great love and support uh that just kind of overpowers all the negativity that that filters through so hopefully that kind of answers your question mm -hmm. i i've been i've really been trying to put my finger on unhappiness not not exactly unhappiness i think unhappiness is very transient and so maybe a lack of fulfillment in people's lives which lead to mm -hmm. a state of emotional drought and emotional shut offness Right. I just finished a course on resilience and a big factor was a, a thing that I started to wonder about was why people are content with their lives in some circumstances and not others. So for example, with the amount of material satisfaction that we've had over the past hundred years, which has been remarkable to any standard, the mm -hmm. reduction of poverty worldwide has been exponential and increasingly growing so and at the same time in very well-developed countries particularly individualistic communities and individual the more individualistic centered countries so you could say western culture to some extent but that doesn't include every single western country right that in those countries in those groups the a, a happiness index we would especially children would rate lower and lower so I'd like to understand your reasoning for not pursuing the five-year degree out of the university and taking right. a huge risk by going the route of volleyball because it seems as though you gave up monetary and life security for a spiritual journey, for lack of a better term. Right. Yeah, I mean, for me, and this is just something that I always told myself is that because I was so connected through sports throughout my whole life, I've always been connected to the sport and volleyball was kind of the pathway that allowed me to continue in that sport. I always told myself, well, if I have an opportunity right now to play volleyball at the age of, 
I think I was 19 when I first started up again. And let's say I go till I'm 30. I can always go back and obtain a degree later on is what I told myself. Um, and I think, you know, actually in university, I took a class and there was a, an 86 year old man that was like a retired individual who was just, he just wanted to learn more about history. And so I always respected him because, you know, he could sit at home and just, I don't know, um, I don't know, go about his daily life of, of carefreeness and, and just be settled, I guess but he decided to choose to continue to learn. And so I, ever, I always thought if I ever had the opportunity to play sport when I was young, I would do it because it's not like I could go and try to walk onto a college team when I'm even 30, 40, 50, right? Like, I don't think my body would handle it. My body's say, still struggling no. with it right now. <laughs> well, you could try. We're not sure how long yeah. it'll last. Exactly, exactly. And, and like how, how, um, how much growth I could have in that, right? And so I figured this was the time to do it uh, if there was going to be a time because, I don't know, I think some opportunities only pass by way or pass you, how's that saying go? Come, like they only, they only happen once in a lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. There's, only like a, um, there's only a certain amount of time in which you have to, to kind of go through these opportunities. So for me, it was... It was, it was really simple as hard as that sounds um and it, it's not like it's not like i didn't battle like am i doing the right thing you know is my what does my family think you know is my mom supporting me but deep down she's like man i really could you know i need some help <laughs> um our bills piling up and that's why i always tried to really really work in my academics on top of my athletic scholarships because if i could try to go to university for as little money as possible and I could supplement that with playing volleyball. Anybody that thought this was, you know, kind of financially draining, I could just justify that in my mind. Well, at least I'm going to school for almost free, right? Uh, at least I'm going to school for, for like a reduced price because, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not being lazy with, with my academic work. So, yeah, I don't know. I, it, it definitely is tough. And there are definitely moments in life where you think, well, man, I'm just doing the wrong thing or this is not this is not what I'm meant to be doing, but um, I don't know. Then there's moments throughout the whole journey that you're, you're just reminded of yourself that, yeah, this is what you're kind of meant to do. How do you deal with that? That sounds like a, that sounds like a relationship with yourself, but also with someone else where relationships will ebb and flow and you'll like each other right. more depending on the time and the circumstance. But occasionally there's the, right. there's the light that you experience within the darkness mm-hmm. where you realize mm-hmm. that, you do want to be there at that time. And I would like to know how you deal with that psychologically where you, you understand that the the person or yourself, that there's, there are other options and something that I've found consistent through the resilience research is the benefit of a two parent household. Right. And so there's something, yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable actually. Mm-hmm. It's it's absolutely insane, and it it makes a lot of sense. And it seems like an institution that's been a social norm for millennia, for, for sure, a very yeah. very long time. And we've only recently started to break out of it. And I think we're starting to understand why it's a social norm. I actually watched a there was a little there was a clip of a podcast that I had seen a while ago where people were talking about the reasons for marriage, and 
they said that outside of the social constraint or the social taboo of not being married, there's not really a reason to be married. And that makes a lot of sense if you don't look into the literature at all, because you would assume I don't need a piece of paper to tell someone that I love them. Right, right. But something that I really liked from Carl Jung was that marriage is a way to chain yourself to someone else so that you actually have to figure mm-hmm. out how to live with them instead of moving from one fundamentally flawed but uh, sufficient enough at the moment person to the next fundamentally flawed but sufficient enough person at the moment. And, right. Uh, Freud actually... Very cool. Yeah, Freud talks a lot about... Uh, there was a book he wrote called Civilization, Civilization and Its Discontents. And in that he talked about eros which is the the greek concept of love and it boils more down to creation and a platonic love than a romantic love and a part of that was that eros and the creation of the child is something that bonds two people together to such an extent that the child actually supersedes the love between the two people and the love experience for the child is something that chains the two people to each other because of the inherent benefit from having both parents. And so, wow. anyways, how, how do you experience that relationship with yourself where it's something that you want to do, where you feel as though there's something potentially more out there or you're not on the right path that you, everyone has self-doubts, everyone questions themselves. And right. how, do you, how do you reify your decision to be where you are? Yeah, so for me, it's always been um, like my ultimate goal. I think my ultimate goal in life is is different than my athletic goal. So my ultimate goal in life is to always take care of the ones that love me, specifically my family, specifically my mom. Uh, you know, you can break it down that way. So to be honest, if volleyball ever got in the way of me being able to take take care of my family, I would quit. <laughs> because at the end of the day um you know those people are going to be with you for the for the you know longevity of your life whereas volleyball at least from a playing standpoint is only going to be with you at least in my life maybe 10 years mm-hmm. but the thing is um if they're supportive of that and and they accept that you're kind of on this journey I set this goal that I, my ultimate goal with volleyball is to go play professional volleyball. That's, I've kind of stated that as my, my goal for quite some time. And it's a very scary goal, especially as a libero and, you know, people have to kind of be around the sport to understand like why it's so daunting. But uh, so for me, that end goal continues to make me drive within the sport. And so while there are times in which like, I loved playing for Lethbridge College. It was awesome. I was super, super comfortable. Um, you know, <laughs> like they put me on a bus in the city. <laughs> so it was like, I don't know. I felt like a, like a small, small, small town rock star. You know what I mean? Like, it was awesome. I was super, super comfortable. Oh, you were on the outside then, of the bus. Yeah, on the outside <laughs> of the bus. Yeah. So like driving down my neighborhood and then like there's Prim. Like that's super cool. My man would like wait outside her window uh you know hoping that the bus would go by that's, that's cool all, that's, that's awesome so right that's awesome yeah it's so fun and um 
you know, but then after that, after that provincials, where, you know, uh, some universities started to, to contact me, you have to make a decision, right? Do you stay in that comfortability zone or do you venture out seven hours away from home in freezing cold Saskatoon <laughs> to, you know, try to grow your, 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 your athletic skill? Um, and I left because I thought that's what I needed to do to, you know, grow not only as an athlete, but as a human uh, or as a man, for sure. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that was kind of my, my decision, my choice to just keep trusting the process as, as cliche as that might sound as well, right? Like there's going to be times where even in your normal life, right? You might not even be in sport, but it might be in your educational studies or it might be just within your own family unit that uh, you guys are going to go through some tough times. It's, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, right? But you have to continue to trust the process to, to keep working towards that end goal. And so the end goal of me playing pro uh, has always been there. So that's why I continue to go back every year and, and you know, beat up my body. <laughs> so that, that's what my end goal was, right? To, to, to try to get out there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, it's good to have a big lofty goal in mind. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. On, on that exactly. note how how do you seek opportunities rather than have opportunities come and find you uh for one example i remember in a lethbridge camp it was a pursuit lethbridge camp and Mm -hmm. you showed up and you were just to to give some kind of reference to anyone listening these camps tend to have kids from say 13 12 or 13 to around 17, 18, it normally maxed yep. out around there. And yep. I believe you were 19. You were exceeding, you were exceeding <laughs> yeah. the, the age category for sure. And you were just, you yeah. just showed up and you came and asked Ken, Hey, do you mind if I, do you mind if I play in this camp? And he went, yeah. Okay, sure. I don't see why not. And, yeah. and for anyone listening, uh, everyone plays together at these camps. So the goal mm-hmm. is to just toss a big mixed bag of ages and skill levels onto a court. And there's a, there's a regression to the mean of mm-hmm. kids tend to get very good at these camps because they're exposed to very high level volleyball for what they're used to. And so that's kind of the the model that Ken's gone after. And so you were a leader at this camp, but it was outside of the norm of <laughs> age groups. I don't think we'd ever seen anything like that up until that. Yeah. Point. So <laughs> you, you were just someone that wanted to get better and wanted the opportunity. Yeah. And so you yeah. showed up and how, why, why would you do that? Just so many people. I, I just think that would be so, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not taking the piss out of you. I, no, no, no. Like, I, I think it was, I think it was one of the most commendable things that I've ever seen actually, because you were someone who <laughs> completely put your ego to the side and said, mm-hmm. I'm just going to go play. I'm just going to go have, yeah. I'm just going to go learn. Yeah. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here to do. And you put your ego yeah. to the side and you showed up and you killed it. You taught a bunch of kids, a bunch of things that they wouldn't have learned without you. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate the love. Yeah, like it was, uh, it was tough, man. Like <laughs> I went from like in high school, uh, at least in, in LCI, guys that were involved in sport, guys and girls that were involved in sport were kind of like, I don't know, the cool kids or whatever. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, it went from me being like a part of a provincial winning ba- or a, a zone winning basketball team and had a bunch of my friends, you know, play division one and, and post-secondary and all that stuff to, well, now I got to go to camp 
to just try to learn with a bunch of like <laughs> 13 year olds. Right. So mm-hmm. it's a huge ego check, but to be honest, like I was so desperate to just learn and to learn quickly and to try to get myself ready for this walk on tryout that it didn't really matter. Like <laughs> I just thought the information that was being given by Ken and by yourself and, and you know, other pursuit volley leaders, I just thought that that was information that would be valuable for me going forward, right, within the sport. So it didn't really matter what the age group was. I just wanted to try to get better within a short period of time or try to learn something that, you know, I didn't know before or I don't know. That was, that was my whole mindset. And, uh, yeah, super, super, like, people might think, I've always got this question, like, was it embarrassing? I was like, well... <laughs> Like, I wasn't, like, hanging out with my friends, you know what I mean, that are, like, the same age. But, I mean, those kids I ultimately, I think, became my friends by the end of the camp because, you know, they're like, what is this old dude doing here? <laughs> kind of just grinding. Um, but I didn't really care. It was – I just wanted to go for the information. And, uh, I mean, it worked out, right? Like, if anybody's thinking, well, that's kind of weird, I wonder how it transitioned. Like, I ended up, you know, being selected for that Pursuit Volley team where I met you. Mm-hmm. And well, I think I, I think ended you up and I, sorry, I think you and I actually won the tournament for that pursuit camp. Yes, we did. With, yes, we did. With a couple of fourteen-year-olds, and yeah. <laughs> something that I distinctly remember was your your willingness to give feedback and take feedback from fourteen-year-old mm-hmm. children. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I, I just thought that was so cool because you really, I, I think that people can demonstrate their willingness to learn by number one giving feedback and initiating that uh a relationship with reciprocity where you're consistently giving Mm. back and forth and a big part of that is not only giving but also receiving and how well you receive something like feedback because so often we it's difficult to take feedback from anyone because an inherent part of feedback is accepting that you're wrong to some extent or you could be better and sure to hear that from a 14 year old kid that we're, <laughs> we're playing a tournament with is, is something yeah. completely different. But I think yeah. that was the reason that our team did so well was because we all had the ability to just say, Hey, this is something that maybe I would like it if you did this and yes. everyone just yep. took it like that. It was just a snap of a finger yep. and it was a very open lane of communication. For sure, man. Oh, sorry yeah, to cut you sure, off, but sure. yeah. Then, no, no, we, then, totally we, then we played together at the Pursuit Volleys. Yeah, and... yeah, right? Like, we went to Texas and played at, like, the National Open, and that was incredible. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how much you want to get into this, but I remember, like, distinct things about that whole process, that whole week, I guess, of, of, of meeting new guys. I think I was, like, one of the only ACAC dudes on the team, and so I was already nervous to go, in, to go into the whole experience with, right? Because um, whatever I'm playing with a bunch of uni- university dudes and uh and I ended up meeting like <laughs> I ended up meeting Don Sanoski mm-hmm. right who uh who's a character in his own right and uh you know eventually uh, I ended up playing with Dalton and Sask right and, mm-hmm. and he helped me kind of transition transition to the little barrel row over there so I mean it's all like people laugh like oh you play with 13 year olds yeah okay well playing with 13 year olds actually allowed me to eventually sign with the university team down the line right mm-hmm. and uh yeah i've been i've been reading um actually so i did this i did this book study not to go on to a different tangent right away but no, I did this no. book study first first semester with uh 
couple of my friends. So like one guy's trying to make the Olympics for swimming. One guy's playing pro ball in Spain, pro basketball. And uh, a bunch of actors, actually. It was, it, the one guy's brother um, who plays in Spain, his brother is an actor in, in, in LA. And uh, we all started doing this thing called the Artist's Way. It's like, a, I don't even know how to, it's not like a self-help help book, but it's like a, like a task-oriented book. Mm-hmm. And anyways, a couple of weeks ago, one of the tasks was to read a book. And I started reading this book called uh, the inner game of tennis and it's super short and what essentially this tennis coach who's I don't know he, he's coached some of the I guess uh, important figures in tennis and he's coached people that have never played the game before and so what he suggests and this is kind of what like bringing back to that pursuit camp is what I, I've kind of learned is that I'm, I think we're very visual learners and so when I was at the pursuit camp I wasn't necessarily watching. Uh, one of the reasons I went there is because I knew, you know, Keith West was going to be there, like a, you know, an elite mm-hmm. uh, volleyball player from Lethbridge, and I knew yourself was going to be there. So I would try to like watch you guys. And what this coach kind of requires is that, or not requires, but kind of discusses is that when introducing someone that's completely new to a sport, or maybe that doesn't really have the tangibles. Excuse me. What he does is he hit 10 forearm, uh, he's a tennis coach, right? So he hit 10 forearm balls in a row. And he just asked the student to try to replicate that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the student did like the forearm perfectly, but he noticed that the tennis pro was taking a step. So he would hit the forearm perfectly, but he wouldn't take the step because that's how like our mind works. So focused on one aspect that they mm-hmm. think, well, I'm only, gonna, I'm only gonna take a step. I'm only gonna take a step and ended up you know, hitting the, uh, hitting the ball perfectly. But it's that idea that instead of me telling you, like, this is how you pass a volleyball mm-hmm. or this is how you dig, or this is how you set, or this is like, there's six different things that I, I'm putting in your brain to like make you play. What I really tried to do is just watch how like Keith West passed the ball, mm-hmm. right. Or watched how you like defended out of six. And so I think, uh, you know, if there's any young guys, or young guys and girls that are listening to this to this uh, podcast, um, I think studying like film or studying those that are superior to you, right, uh, in terms of like your athletic skill, is super super important to get an edge quickly. Because if you can try to replicate those movements, um, you know, by watching pro volleyball players or university volleyball players um, within a short uh, shorter period of time. I found that to be personally very, very beneficial for my own game. So mm-hmm. whole different kind of tangent, but I just wanted to, because you were talking about, um, you know, even even reading some uh, some information about reciprocity. And in a sense, it's reciprocity in, of, of what we see to like what we actually do. So mm-hmm. yeah, hopefully I didn't take too much of the podcast. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, hey, anywhere you want to go with this, I'm, I'm willing. We're, we're both passengers and each one of mm-hmm. us has a wheel. How do you differentiate between, well, first off, I, you're, you're totally right that we learn by watching. Some people learn by watching. Right. But I would say that it's, sure. a, it's something you could generalize to the majority of the human population sure. because so much of yep. our brain is allocated to our visual cortex almost. Mm-hmm. A, a large chunk of the back half of our brain is all visual. So mm-hmm. that's, how we, that's how we learn. And uh, 
one hint at that is the fact that we actually have whites in our eyes. It's important what each person is looking at within a social group. We all tend right. to look at things. If you, mm -hmm. if you just go onto your university campus or school campus and look up a tree, people will come and surround you and also look up <laughs> that, that tree because it's important. Yeah, yeah. It's important to know what other people are looking at. And so how do you differentiate between watching and studying? Interesting. Um, so I guess watching for me is without intent. Um, it's just kind of like if I was to watch a game on TV or watch, um, like let's, let's keep it in the frame of volleyball, for example. If I was to watch a volleyball game without really worrying about the outcome or who's playing or anything like that, I'm just kind of watching the ball move. That's different than when I'm studying game film throughout the week about a team that I'm playing, right? So if I'm, if I'm uh, studying with intent, I'm, you know, freeze framing where I think the set's going or freeze framing what is the swing, what does the, the swinger's arm look like? Or I'm freeze framing their defensive setup where I'm freeze framing, uh, you know, what their two man block looks like and where they're, where they're positioned on the court in, in, in relevance to that. So I think there's, it's a lot more time consuming, obviously, because you're, you're stopping and starting at like <laughs> almost every two seconds um, to try to, to try to grasp a little bit better understanding about what's happening. And if I'm watching, like, let's say Dustin Wadden does a really good job, I think of, of promoting the game of volleyball in terms of a, uh, reaching like a social platform mm -hmm. and so if I'm watching his games um, or you know he did he did a passing and defense clinic this past summer uh, for COVID which I, I, I found very beneficial um, but he breaks it down like incrementally so yeah it's very very time consuming and it's like your brain's turned on it's very focused to what to what you you want to get out of it um, yeah, if I'm watching a game, I'm just, you know, hanging with the guys being like, oh, that's pretty cool that Mulaney hit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> got, got 14 kills and, and 10 blocks, whatever, right? Like, I don't know. That's, that's, that's kind of my, my, my perception of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. A way that I've tried to implement that into my coaching is that I want people to study the game while they're playing it. So right. changing, so for a, for a spectator, the objective focus is obviously the ball mm -hmm. in whatever sport so if you watch basketball if yep. you're if you're watching basketball you watch james harden release a three or steph curry release a three and you watch the ball yep. not yep. the guy but i mm -hmm. think that if you're studying the game then you're watching the guy more so exactly so yep when i coach volleyball i try to keep their line of vision below the height of the net so that they're watching cool. the other team yeah, yep. and their own teammates rather than watching the ball because the ball's not going to tell you anything. There's a yep. split second where you need to use your peripherals to actually see where the ball's going. But for the most part, the body language of the people on the other side of the net are going to be far more beneficial to allocate your visual resources to as opposed to the object of focus, which is very often the ball. For sure. I like that. I like that a lot. I mean, like in serve reception, for example, like you said, the ball tells you very, very minimal things in the sense that I, when I watch serve reception, I'm watching like the guy's speed, like does he do a split step? Like what's, what's happening? Mm -hmm. Is he passing outside his midline? Is he trying to force it inside his midline? Like what's, what's kind of happening? Um, sorry, the phone's going to ring. 
what's happening uh you know pre-contact almost mm-hmm. um versus post-contact versus you know after he makes contact with the ball like what is what does his body position do so that's interesting that you do i like that i like that analogy to keep it uh keep it below the net i like that a lot thanks it's been a work in progress to say the least yeah yeah that's fair enough fair enough what did you find the difference between college and university in terms of the the way that people approached the game, the way that people approached academics, the way that people approached partying. I know that Las Vegas is, it has quite the reputation. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Okay. So let's talk about partying first. Okay. Um, so in Lethbridge, to be honest with you, we had a bar ban um, and we had, um, if we were going to go out, uh, you know, we, it had to be at someone's house. Sorry, what's that so, mean, bar ban? Is that, is that through your, is that through the athletic organization or were you guys so rowdy that the bars actually had banned you? No, sorry. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a fair enough point. No, it wasn't, uh, it was kind of like a team decision, I guess, mm-hmm. kind of like from our leadership staff that we were just, I don't know. I think if you're on a team that you guys think can be successful, um, the slightest little hiccup or mix up or, or something that like takes your focus away from trying to be successful, um, can often ruin those chances of, of, of accomplishing your goals. So at that time, um, you know, our leadership staff kind of said, listen, if we're going to hang out, we're going to hang out as a team and, uh, it's not going to be, you know, at a Hudson's, <laughs> it's going to be at like some guy's house. And, to be honest, like that was so much like, I, I'm, you know, me, I'm pretty straight edge. Like I don't really drink. Uh, I don't drink, honestly, like at that point in college, I never drank at all. Um, I was a guy like that was driving everybody home. Like everybody needed a DD. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, for me personally, I always felt like if I screwed up somehow on a weekend, like I'd put so much work to even like make it onto a team. Like I wasn't going to risk it by doing whatever on a weekend. And, uh, that's that's just how I personally my perception on that has changed a little bit, but um, that's how I viewed it at least when I was in college. So, yeah, we just we just we hung out within our own houses and uh, it was awesome. Like it was just like probably one of the not that you even had to be like drinking or or, or doing anything like that. It was just being around our team um, and uh, being around like-minded individuals and like we were all friends. That's another thing that I think is super important. It's it's tough when you're on a team where there's like clicks or there's little like disagreements or like that guy hates that guy because of this or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. We were all just super, super chill. Um, and super, super close. So yeah, that's, 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 uh, that's Las Vegas. We're not as glamorous as it, it might seem. <laughs> um, yeah. And then Sask was very much the same. Like, um, you know, I think we had a little bit more, um, uh, we were definitely academically focused. Uh, I had a guy, you know, in this past year that got like a hundredth percentile on his MCAT score. So like these guys are, you know, kicking people's butts, uh, in terms of like the general population, I think, um, while playing a sport, which is, which is pretty impressive. Um, the game itself was so much faster and like the mentality around the game was a lot different than, than Lethbridge. Um, 
so obviously I think anytime that you, you kind of jump, jump up a level, obviously the game's going to be faster. People say like, what does that mean? Well, the ball moves faster or, or, you know, the guys hit it harder, whatever, but also how we approach um, mistakes and stuff like that differed very, very significantly compared to the Lethbridge college. And that just might be my personal experience, like with that team versus this team. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Um, so, I mean, in the sense that, I think the ACAC or like playing in Lethbridge, if you made a mistake, I kind of took that as like a learning experience. Like, okay, this is, um, you know, I, you know, it costs a team a point. Uh, like, I, I better know for next time, like not to do that. But I felt as though like I could try to obtain that point back quickly. In, in university, it was like, if you make a mistake, you're down and you're probably going to be down because of that, <laughs> because of the level of talent that's in the, you know, in U sport um, very quickly. So, you know, too many mistakes in a row is in a row is detrimental to that set. Um, so you really, really have to be on your game. You really, really have to be consistent. And uh, it's one of the like can West for U sport is one of the, I would argue the most competitive conference that, uh, that there is at least in Canada. And like the level of talent that comes out of there is, is incredible. I would definitely so, posit that that's moving into the United States as well. I think that, yes, yes. yes. I think that North I America, think, uh, Canada West might be one of the top leagues. I'd say probably. I agree as well. Yeah, I agree as well. I mean, every time, yeah, the top end guys in Canada go down there. I mean, I think uh, you're usually on the top. So um, that's why, you know, you have to be so consistent and so, like the, the approach to making mistakes is mistakes is like, Oh, like we can't do that right now. Like we can't, we can't, uh, we can't have that. And so, um, you know, I, I, how we ended my first year at Sask, like, I think we got bounced in the quarterfinals. There's so many things that could have gone our way that just didn't, um, like Morty being injured for basically this whole second half of the semester. Mm -hmm. Um, was super super detrimental to our to our team success and, and our team morale but uh yeah it was awesome awesome experience um i uh i look forward to what next year brings hopefully if, if COVID stays away <laughs> mm -hmm. oh i hope that it does i i am missing watching my friends play a sport that i yeah enjoy. yeah so yeah i hope that yeah. that's going to be something that comes back and now with your history honors what yes. is the why why would you go into that why would anyone decide to look back in time because we're in the present and we're only going into the future so right here get your eyes in the front of your head not the back <laughs> yeah yeah that, i guess that's a lot of my science friends uh, uh say that often <laughs> do they um, really oh god they do they do yeah i know it's it's tough it's that's tough not to hear, good but uh no exactly um i don't know i i've always found that studying our past as uh, as far back as you know like where we came from as a civilization it has been so interesting and so you know there's so much information to take in um and there's information that can help us you know provide guidance for our future as is you know even the science people might might disagree with i i 100 disagree with that statement right like mm -hmm. there's so much that we can learn um you know nothing is ever replicated exactly the same but there's there's similarities that can definitely be uh, influential for our, for our future. And so specifically with, with my education, um, I found like an interest in indigenous studies 
uh, specifically within Treaty 6, which is like the Sask uh, Saskatchewan area, like Saskatoon area, and Treaty 7, which is Southern Alberta. And so trying to understand uh, the relationship, how it developed, and, and how we can try to, um, I guess, foster development within that relationship between Indigenous and non-Indigenous is something that I've taken a, a keen interest in. I don't want to put you on the spot. Do you know what the band names are for those groups? Ooh, you are putting me on the spot. I don't want to get it wrong, so I'm going to say I don't. Okay. Um, um, but I mean, that's it. Would be simple to you know to 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 look up and and, and see. Maybe, maybe I'll put them into the into yeah the, yeah. The bio. Like I know specifically, like um, like Southern Alberta is is Blackfoot territory. Mm -hmm. um, and so the Lethbridge College, uh, you know, I think every university now within Canada, I, I shouldn't say, I, I don't know for sure, but I think there is a, a tree, um, like we recognize treaty land. Mm -hmm. And so um, Lethbridge College always um, was like a major supporter of Blackfoot uh, culture. And, you know, even my graduation ceremony, they had uh, 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 Blackfoot dancers come in and, um, and perform for us uh, for that graduation ceremony. So I know for, for certain that the, the Blackfoot are, are, are very significant in Southern Alberta. Uh, for Saskatchewan, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but like I said, I don't want to get it wrong. So I'll probably just, uh, just cut it out. <laughs> that, that's, probably, that's probably a good way to go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what have you found in history that could potentially, actually, I'll, I'll give one and then maybe you can think about yeah, sure. the, the uh, question yep. while I while yep. I talk about it. So in the Amazon River Basin, there's a, it, it used to be a savanna and in lots of parts it still is. So it's not a giant garden that's full of life as people would think. I read a book recently called America Before by Graham Hancock and you can think what you'd like about Graham, Graham Hancock if you've heard of him and uh, people listening, but I think that his willingness to step outside of the mainstream scientific thought has been revolutionary for the discipline of archaeology. And one of the areas that he talks about in this book is something called terra prima or terra prima. And I, I think that comes from Latin terra, earth, and prima, first. So primero in Spanish is, I think, would be linked to prima. Anyways, it's this man-made dirt that has a unbelievably high nutrient content, and the microbiome is self-replicating. So if you dig deep enough in this earth, it's, it's actually black about two meters down. <clears throat> and then below that, it becomes very sandy and inhospitable to agriculture. And that's something that the Brazilians are starting to find out as they demolish the rainforest is that this ground is only self-replicating for as long as it can have the, the ecosystem that it's used to. And so they're, they're going to get about one or two cycles out of this ground that they're, that they're, um, would be a good way to put this uh i don't want to sensationalize or politicize it but they're essentially destroying large portions of the rainforest to create farmland right. for cattle and other different forms of 
single crop agriculture and they think it's going to turn around and nip them in the ass soon enough when they realize right. that the ground actually isn't meant for that and it was engineered to be that way by the indigenous population that was there and the more that they find out about the amazon and its undis- unexplored undiscovered areas that there it seemed to be a populated by millions and millions of people with these giant metropolis megacities and wow and so I, yeah so i think that that's something that could be potentially useful in the future is reverse engineering this terra preta and i think that the the savannah not the savannah the the sahara in africa has receded by about 10 percent over the past oh i wouldn't put a number on it but within the past hundred years at the very least it's received wow. about 10 percent because we're we're in the the green revolution there are more trees in north america than there were 50 to 100 years ago right and obviously that doesn't make up for the old growth deforestation that we're experiencing which i believe is reprehensible to say the least but mm-hmm. i do think that we're being able to reverse engineer this terra preta and understand what the mechanisms at play are and those scientist friends of yours uh, <laughs> no, um, there are scientists that have postulated that maybe it's uh, the local inhabitants were burning different types of uh, essentially the the hypothesis is that they stumbled upon this stuff and it just seems so profoundly engineered that there's absolutely no way that someone just miraculously tripped onto their rear end and ended up in this stuff and Mm -hmm. a very it's very similar to the history of ayahuasca where this psychedelic that allows for a out of body out of earth experience and it comes from essentially you take one vine from this part of the amazon and you combine that with a another plant body from this part of the amazon and mm-hmm. and that uh it inhibits the enzymes in one plant that allow for this mystical experience and so it, it's un, it's unfathomable how people just s- stumble onto this so i think that right. understanding these things a little bit more and as i said being able to reverse engineer terra preta into being able to create rainforests kind of wherever mm-hmm. humans want i think the that mm-hmm. africa would be a little bit less food scarce if they were able to plant a giant garden which it it seems like the amazon is more of a man-made garden than it is a natural occurring event wow very interesting yeah, cool. That's stuff. interesting. I I've uh, actually took uh, several African history classes within the past year, year and a half, and uh, very interesting. Like the development that's happened within that continent. It's uh, it's uh, you like I obviously I studied it from like a more of a like a relational standpoint of mm-hmm. you know colonialism, uh, why are things are the way that they are today, and and how can we try to kind of reverse that flow. Um, so yeah, it's very interesting that. When did you? So uh, let me. I'll turn this around. Then. Sure. So when okay. did, when did you? Like, I've known you. Oh gosh, I've known you since that Dallas trip. Really, I guess pursued like 2018, 2017, something like that. It would have. That was the first time that I'd seen my mom in about nine years. So yeah, I think that was maybe when I was twenty or twenty-one. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so so, like you've obviously you're quite studied um within uh within several different realms of i guess um uh, your education 
what made you like I remember Josh Mullaney of of Dallas was was quite a different person than what he is today. So what what it just seems like you're very studied. Um, what uh, I guess like so what did you what did you graduate with, and mm-hmm. then um, what's what's your ultimate goal or what's your ultimate uh, I don't know. I, I like I don't mean to turn this. I know this no, is no, supposed no. to be about yeah. frame or whatever, right? But well, like yeah. it's just the, it's interesting to see the development, the character development of 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 all these years, right? Like this is the first time we've sat down and talked in a, in a minute. Yeah. So thank you very much appreciated. Uh, <laughs> no worries. I'll have to remind myself that I'm a total <laughs> piece of shit after this so that I can rehumble myself. <laughs> oh, stop. I studied psychology and sociology in school. I took cool. business my first year and then yep. psychology was a, I would say maybe a brute force way to uh, analyze myself and okay. maybe come out on the other side of what I was going through. Mm-hmm. And I just found it unbelievably interesting. I think I'm right. You know, I've, I've always wondered how to say this because in our current political climate, it doesn't seem socially, politically correct. But I think I'm okay. far more feminine than I am masculine in terms of my okay. personality and my interests. So I'm I'm far more interested in people than I am things. I've tried to get into things multiple times, and I, I really do enjoy things quite a bit, but I enjoy people far more. So I think this mm. is a reason that I'm doing this and trying to learn from that. And and when I say that I'm far more feminine, it's not a, I'm not trying to take a stereotype or an archetype of women and say that I fit onto that. I, I think that from a, I'm I'm trying to, I'm trying to share information in the quickest way possible. So from a, from a personality psychology perspective, I think that I would skew more to the side of the averages of women and the difference between men and women are very minuscule, very small, but they exist. And so I think that I'm a little bit skewed more towards the female side. And so that's just a, that's me saying that so that I don't get in trouble later, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, so I, I took psychology and sociology because I'm very interested in people. And then as time went on, I decided that I wanted to get better at speaking, which I think okay. is a, was a good goal for me because it's something that I was always a little bit, I had a natural proclivity towards that was being able to talk and convince people of things. And so over time I realized that if I didn't have any weight to my speech and I was convincing of people, I was convincing people of things that I had simply assumed, then that wasn't, that wasn't ethical from my perspective. I wanted to understand things. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to understand things more and more so that when I, when I spoke, my words held weight. Right. And, and then I honestly, I just started watching tons of lectures online and I got more and more into learning. I think it was actually during my Achilles that I become that that I became far more well read. Was I the the visceral feeling was that my body had given up on me, and it was something that right. had never happened before. And so I realized right. that the pipe dreams that I had cultivated over the years to play professional and follow that stream would maybe not be there. And if it was, then it wouldn't last for forever. So that's when mm-hmm. I decided to turn far more into my mind. And it's, it's interesting that you say that I'm more well read than I was because I don't, I wouldn't consider myself an intelligent person 
from a traditional perspective, I, I, I think that relates back to my grade school years where I had a learning, I, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. And so I was consistently told that I'd never go to university or really accomplish anything on the academic side of things. So that was always mm -hmm. something that I held as an indisputable truth, let's say. Mm. And Interesting. so that's, that's definitely helped to keep me humble when I do hear people say things like that, but I very much appreciate it. It means a lot to me. Mm. No worries, man. And a big part of the lectures that I realized was that the people were just unbelievably well-read. They just right. knew so much and they could talk about things and move things around. And I, I think that I'm quite creative and something that I realized with people who were well-read is that they were able to take ideas from different areas and different perspectives and tie them into one another. And so listening to someone such as Joseph Campbell, who studies mythology, was able to take all of these areas from different spiritualities and he over time wove it into this big blanket of an understanding that we now hold of religion and mythology and spirituality and all of these things that came together and were an integral part of the human experience. And so I decided that I would like to be able to do that essentially. And so that's, cool. that's been my goal over the past little bit is to essentially just read as much as I can. And another part mm -hmm. of that, that ties in with the podcast, I, I decided that I wanted to pursue this to the utmost degree where the nth most degree where I, I want this to be as good as I can, both for myself and the people involved, whether they're listening, hi mom, and whether they're just watching highlights or anything, I want people to actually come away from the experience of listening with more than they came in with and being able to right. think about things. And so a big part of that responsibility for me is being able to consistently bring in new perspectives while also being able to engage people such as yourself on ideas that you already hold. And so the more that, right. so I, I've talked about this before, but maybe I can explain it a little bit better this time and a little bit better the next time after that. But mm -hmm. I think of a conversation a little bit as a Venn diagram where there's the information that I know and there's the information that you know. And the more that we overlap, the more that I can get into the, you'd say more personally esoteric information that only you know that I, I couldn't know. So right. the more that we overlap, then or the more that I overlap into you, the more that I can explore this outside bit of you that I don't hold. So that's something that I, so anytime, so for example, I'm talking to a, a friend in a few weeks about drug addiction. And in that time, I've just been burning through books on drug addiction so that we can have a, right. like, hopefully very deep intellectual conversation, more so from his right. point of view, but that's my goal is to bring as much value as I can to the people that are experiencing the journey with me. And For so sure. over time, Very I think cool. that I would, I, yeah. And as I said, I, I like speaking. And so this is a way that I can help to cultivate that skill within myself and in that way, be able to express myself better. So I hope that's, a, sure, I hope that's a satisfactory response to your question. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. It's just, uh, it's cool what you're doing. I think, um, I think the betterment of oneself um, by whatever they are interested in, I guess. And it seems like you're interested in a breadth of information, right? And mm -hmm. I think it's important that um, that you're taking the time out of your day to, like you said, like study about drug addiction, right? Whereas you could just have them on and 
possibly the conversation would go nowhere if you didn't do your homework about it, right? So, um, yeah, I think you're doing cool stuff, man. I've always uh, always found it interesting, um, um, the, the character development, because, yeah, you've become so, so at least in my opinion, right? Like, you might not, might not agree with me wholeheartedly, but I think in my opinion, you've become so well-read on such a variety of different topics that you're allowed, you, you're able to, to hold conversation with, with anybody um which is which is why i think the pod is is doing well so yeah man happy to see the success for you much appreciated thank you very much i, no, I do really no really appreciate that no and kind of on a to tie us back in while also continuing on the tangent yep something like studying history and so what i what i did in the tangent about terra preta prior to me right ranting about myself mm-hmm. uh, is I was trying to combine three broad facets of academia into one. So history, culture, and agriculture. And you, I guess you can maybe put right. anthropology or archaeology mm-hmm. into the, under the cultural umbrella. And so that's something that I think is very important and not being not only is it not being encouraged, but it's being actively discouraged is the the ability to generalize. People are being more and more specified in their academics and rightfully so to some extent, because Mm -hmm. you can only learn so much. And as these fields grow larger and larger at an increasingly exponential rate, then you can only read so much. And so it's tough to to really dive into a rabbit hole and be an expert in one thing. And so I think Mm -hmm. that something that I would like to do is be able to have a, a conversation of at least the the first decile of a of a discipline so the first 10 percent of a discipline and in that way I can hopefully start to learn more about the the further because if I if I can jump into right. the first 10 10th percent and talk to someone who knows 90 percent then yep. we can find somewhere in the middle where we can pull that, that up so and that and that's why I'm, I'm interested in talking with you about history because mm-hmm. I think history is drastically underestimated as a academic discipline now. I think that the humanities are experiencing their difficulties for a variety of reasons, but one of which right. being everyone wants to go into the STEM fields. Not everyone, but right. the STEM yeah, yeah. fields make people a lot of money. And so yep. it was, yep. yeah. And I so, you saying. Sorry, you go. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think, one of the one of the main interests that that I have within the discipline is that it's going to sound kind of cliche or, or weird or whatever, but I'm really about people, and I'm really about. I'm one of those weird guys that like thinks that we should try to live cohesively <laughs> in this world. <laughs> that um, sounds very weird nowadays. Yeah, you know. yeah, it sounds super super weird nowadays, um, which is, in my opinion, like it's unfortunate because. Like I truly care about the well-being of of others, or the well-being of of I don't know, like a culture or a society or mm-hmm. a community, right? And I think if if I can provide, not that I'm an expert in this by any means as of yet, like I I would love to attain my master's, um, and you know, in a specific field relating to this, but if I can provide some kind of insight or some kind of information that helps us reach that goal of cohesiveness or 
um, at least bring about conversation, right? I think conversation is, is something that's uh, increasingly significant uh, among parties that are dis like in disagreement, right? Um, you know, I think we can keep trying to um, discuss like everything that's wrong. And, and, you know, if me and you were having a or a fight, let's say, I could go to my friends and be like, man, Josh is such a dick. Like, I hate him. He, he's the worst, da, 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 da. And you would go to your friends and say, oh, Prim is such a dick, da, 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 whatever, whatever. But the only way that we're going to work our issues out is if we sit down and talk about it or sit down and have a, a conversation about um, how can we can resolve this issue that, that's, that's happening between us, right? So um, I think that's kind of where my interest within history comes from is because, like I said before, it's not like... Um, you know, the future is going to be exactly replicated, but what's happening in the present um, can definitely be influenced by what's happened in the past, right? So uh, that's that's kind of where where my interest kind of lies, which I think we're on the same page about, so. Mm -hmm. Right, well, even looking at the present and the influence of the past, we can also look at all of the other, so many, so many, there's a huge plethora of case studies from all over the world, different times, different cultures, different histories where things have gone right. Correct. And yep. I, I don't think that it was funny. I, I had a conversation with a friend and we were talking about the idea of utopia. And I, mm. I had this quote written down that I'd been thinking of for a long time and I, I have it on my whiteboard now. And it's the only achievable utopia is within the house of a well-traveled man or women, depending on yeah, yeah. which way you look at it. But yeah. I think that the ability to take from multiple cultures the things that go well and went well and incorporate them into oneself. Right. And one's home being the kingdom of order. So someone who's well-traveled and has a vast experiences and a vast experience of different cultures and ideas are able to take things. So for example, I really like bidets. I think that anything besides a bidet is <laughs> barbaric. And <laughs> okay. so, so <laughs> So that's something that every, yeah, it's just wiping, wiping poop around your butt with a piece of paper if you're not right. using a bidet. But now in every home that I'm in, I, I fashion the place up with a few bidets. So that's okay. the way that I've uh, moved a little bit closer towards my utopia. <laughs> right. I think that being able right. to, to personalize an experience or to kind of, as you, you've said, we're able to take from multiple areas of time and if we're able to incorporate the things that worked into our culture and our civilization mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and even so i'm gonna i'm gonna cite something here let me know what you think about it sure. i've been reading a little bit of michael j chandler and if you're unfamiliar he's a psychologist from ubc who looked into resilience and specifically resilience in indigenous communities with a magnifying glass on indigenous youth suicide and okay, cool. Yeah, and so something that he found was that the predo distribution, the predo distribution was evident in indigenous youth suicides within the band. So the predo distribution is that 20% have 80% of the resources. So 10% of people have 80% of resources. This is yep. all over the place. It's in economics, it's in um uh trophy bonding species so like gorillas 20 percent of the gorillas 10 percent of the gorillas are going to have 90 to 80 percent of the females and 
this is it's any time that you allow for any time that you let nature run its course that tends to be the distribution mm -hmm. and this is also within indigenous communities with regard to youth suicide so 10% of the bans in canada and i think this was in 2004 90 or 10% of the bans hold or carry the burden of is more appropriate 90% of the youth indigenous suicides and what chandler did was looked at the socio culture or socio socio cultural landscape of the bands that had zero suicides and decreasingly few suicides as it ramped up to 10% holding 90% and tried to look at what they were doing from a cultural perspective and there were policy changes that could be implemented that would decrease the rate of suicide to such a vanishing rate that it was it still spins my head it makes me very emotional to mm -hmm. think about uh, for two reasons the sadness that i feel at the pointless loss of life and also my excitement that the research was done and that the information exists and so that's a an area of which by looking backward and forward we can find a policy that actually helps people and so I'll give a few of these as an example of the things that were successful in the groups was self-governance and being able to have more control over the policing and surveillance of their band and their tribe. Mm -hmm. The acceptance and revivification of culture. So encouraging traditional languages and dancing and art and I think that those things really tie in together from a resilience perspective where you have the, the individual who's going to have a, a set of predispositions that influence them or kind of makes it a little bit easier to follow one direction or the other. And then you have the family perspective. So the, the people around you are going to influence your development to, to a degree that we don't even, I, I don't think it's been properly captured by our culture how important family is as right. i was talking about earlier the significance yeah, yeah. of a two-parent household or two household, yeah. it, it's, a, it's a lot it's very it helps and thirdly the community perspective and so i think that what chandler touched on and whether he was conscious of it or not was the intersectionality of those three things so being able to promote cultural practices and promote self-governance was able to influence the community and the by being in a community you're closer to your family so mm -hmm. the more tight-knit a community is the more tight-knit your group is the closer you get to the individual and by having a community and a family that influences the individual to such an extent that essentially eradicated youth suicide in a lot of these bands so yes that's my rant thank you for listening i'd like to know what you think about that and from your historical perspective as well as your uh, treaty five and seven uh six and seven six and seven thank you yeah that's right yeah i think it's it's very interesting i think another aspect of that is the ability to, to listen um now i forget where this was i believe it was in manitoba on a reserve but there was a study done that there's a, a significant amount of funding that was given to to this reserve land in the in the realm of um like a social uh 
social activity bonding kind of infrastructure that was going to be in place. And so essentially, um, the, the, the youth were pulled in the community and all they wanted was um, uh, a place to create music. And the government at that time frame was allocating the money or the funds for, um, for a sports, a rec center instead. Mm-hmm. And so they really wanted to cut down on crime. They, they thought, you know, like uh, the reserves there were having, you know, massive issues with drugs and alcoholism. And so they, they had an expert go in and the expert reported back that these youth just wanted a place to create music. But uh, eventually the, the rec center was built and within, I don't know, three months, um, you know, a, short, a shortened period of time, I shouldn't, I shouldn't put a number on it either, but a shortened period of time, the rec center was not being used, was actually being vandalized and crime uh, had not decreased in any, um, in any regard regarding the youth. And so I think what, what I'm kind of getting from both of these these uh instances is that there has to be you know an uh uh, an open ear (laughs) or Mm -hmm. a a willingness to listen to what the actual needs of the community is because if i think there's so many times in which um i might think (laughs) that i'm right in a situation or we could be talking about whatever and i know like if i don't truly listen to what you are saying then we're not really having a conversation. It's just me speaking words and you speaking words and nothing is being um, created or resolved. And so there's a lot of times in which the government, I think, speaking generally again, um, governments across the world often think that they know uh, what's best for, for people because this is what they've been educated. This is what they've been taught. But mm-hmm. like you said, like that collective aspect or like the community or, um, um, uh you know shared living there's so many aspects that kind of go against non-indigenous ideology that we you know as a non-indigenous person our society might think that is wrong quote unquote Mm -hmm. um when in reality there's you know they've been living as a civilization um you know indigenous people living successfully as a civilization way before uh, colonial contact right so mm-hmm. um i don't know i just think to go back to you know like what i'm studying and what i'm interested in it's about creating that cohesiveness in that in that in that shared space mm-hmm. right and whatever that looks like i think it, it really just boils down to uh like that open communication aspect um and more studies uh you know being presented to showcase you know uh, you know, non-indigenous people might have it wrong <laughs> in regards to the, to these these issues, and oftentimes they do. Yeah, well, in lots of ways we do. I've been trying to think yeah. about how to approach these conversations, and less so the ones that are less political, and more so the ones right. that are political. In my understanding of being right and being truthful, I think I think that I think, as in I think that I think that I'm right. Mm-hmm as often as I, as I am, but I also know that I'm wrong more often than I think. Right. So something that I'm trying to do when I talk to people about political issues and especially sensationalized issues is understand that I'm not trying to be right in any conversation that I have, but I'm trying to seek the truth and 
mm-hmm. if, if you and I both have a very cool uh, a conversation in which we're we're both giving each other the benefit of the doubt that it's a argument in good faith or a conversation in good faith that I'm just saying what I think is true in my personal perspective and you tell me what you think is true from your personal perspective and the, the research that you've done, then maybe you and I can essentially stumble upon something that is actually true or at least a small nugget of it because right. the truth would, it's probably out there. It's probably quantifiable. We could probably find it, but I don't think that that happens by talking to people that you agree with or believe right. you're exactly. inherently yeah. right. So yeah, something that, that same, that's, that same, sorry to cut you off, but like that no, no, same no. narrative just, just, just continues the cycle, right? Like mm-hmm. if I only talk with like-minded people, well, of course I'm going to think I'm right mm-hmm. because like we, we have no, we have no one to disagree with. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I could talk about, you know, the same thing with religion. Like I'm a religious guy, but if I don't, I have mul- multiple friends that are, are, you know, non-believers, atheists, agnostic, uh, you know, uh, whatever, like a variety of different kinds of religions. If I don't truly listen to what they're saying or listen to what uh, their belief system is, well, of course, I'm just going to continue to think like, well, I just got it right. I nailed it the first try, right? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just think, uh, yeah, it's, it's not worth having a conversation in which I have a predetermined answer to whatever they say. It's mm-hmm. not worth it. Like, what, what's the point of having that conversation, right? And I think, um, um, you know, that's something that I had to, it's something that I was brought up with, that, that, that understanding, but it's something that was reinforced within a lot of these uh, quote-unquote liberal institutions, um, such as the University of Lethbridge, right? Like, uh, there's a, a lot of beneficial courses there that, that teach you to, um, especially within the history departments, which is why I kind of fell in love with history, is because they're looking at it objectively. It's not, it's not with a, um, like, history and, it, and study is about looking at things just as they were, or just as they um, or, or how they're progressing. It's not about taking into consideration, or what it should be, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's obviously bias in, in, in the history that we, we read, but as a historian, it's my job to analyze that as objectively as possible. And uh, I always found that fascinating about it because it's not, you're not having an agenda before you, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's a very good way to put it, is not having an agenda or a, a goal of the area in which we're going to land on. It's, right. it's a lot more fun yes. to, uh, to kind of dance through it rather than being dogmatic yeah. about the things that are right and wrong. And as, as you said, with uh, the access to music for the particular band that you were discussing in Manitoba, right. that we are often wrong about things. And that's mm-hmm. something that I'm reading a lot about in this book uh, by Gabon Mate. He's a Canadian. He's a Canadian doctor from the from East Hastings in Vancouver. So, the highest density of drug users in Canada. And mm-hmm. I'll I'll be talking about this a lot more with Owen in, in the next few weeks. But he he really tears down the war on drugs and talks about just how okay. wrong we've gotten that and the negative impact it's having on the people that it is having an impact on and the small, if any positive outcomes it's having. And I think it's difficult for people to look back at things and say they were wrong. Mm-hmm. So there's also a unwillingness to admit 
one's own wrongdoings in the past if it's led to suffering. And that's right. something that we, people have really ended up digging a hole for themselves and that they don't want to be wrong. And so you just continue to double down on things and double down and double down. Right. I, uh, I recently went to a Republican rally down here and. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I, I, I like to go to both. So I like to go mm -hmm. to Democrat and Republican rallies and try to, I just stand at the back of the room and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll clap. Uh, yeah. I'll clap occasionally <laughs> if I hear something that I actually do agree with, but mm -hmm. for the most part, I'm, I'm trying to understand a little bit more about the two different parties and how they think from a, for, for lack of a better word, from an archetypal perspective. So if you have a Republican in the ideal framework for Republican and the ideal framework for a Democrat, if those people are, if the people that are speaking as the people running for governor or senator, if those values are encapsulated in those people, then, and they're being voted in, then you could, you could insinuate that those people are holding the general feeling of the people that are voting for them. Right. And the amount that people clap for different things or you see standing ovations for, for some comments and not for others. And so I'm really trying right. to gauge what the difference between people is and what the difference between ideas are. And more and more people are refusing to look across the aisle towards one another, especially in right. these parties where they're refusing to have conversations. And I think that would actually, mm -hmm. I think that could be the best thing to ever happen to politics is podcasting to be honest, because I think <laughs> yeah, that if, yeah, sure. if, if, if I'm, if I'm yeah. Republican and I'm very far right leaning and I have a discussion mm -hmm. with a Democrat that's very far left leaning and we have a good faith mm -hmm. conversation where we're not trying to be right, but we're trying to find the truth. Then right. you and I just talk for two hours. So hypothetically you're a Republican, I'm a Democrat, vice versa, whatever right. you want to put it as. I can't hide from you for two hours behind my ideology. I have mm -hmm. to actually over time, I'm going to, to start to, spit out what I actually think and what, where I, I'm actually landing. And over, I think if people are able to access archived videos of people having discussions or archived audio of people having discussions about important issues, then sorry, one sec, my dog keeps, oh, what do you want? She's just, she's crying back here. Um, mm. So I think that if people are able to just, have conversations across the aisle and are forced to have conversations and debates across the aisle, then it's going to bring those people closer together because fundamentally, I think that we're far more similar than we are from different. And the more that we think we're different from another, the more we devolve into a tribalism that we're seeing now where mm -hmm. you're either this or that, there's no in between, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. no middle ground. And yeah. if you're not this, you're that, and that's the enemy. I like that. Yeah. I think, have you ever watched like, um, what's it called like there's a channel in canada mm -hmm. that's like dedicated to what's happening within the uh, within parliament so i forget what it's called it's like a specific thing but it, it showcases like the discussions that are happening and it's like continuous and it's it's for mm -hmm. the whole time and one of the things i that always stuck stuck with me i forget when i where i learned it but during during uh during these parliament hours or these parliamentary discussions, it's like, you know, some of them, you can look at any, any parliament across, um, across the world. They're like these heated discussions of, of I'm right, you're wrong, this, that, whatever, like, you know, almost coming to blows. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my, one of my professors once told me that 
or it could have even been in high school that these individuals, like these members of parliament would often just like go to a local bar after and like share a drink with each other, even though they're like totally different parties, right? Like totally, like they're just crossing party lines. But that's, but, but the perception to what I see on TV or what we see in the news often is like these people hate each other. It's, it's, it's stringent. Um, you know, they're not budging anything and they, and they truly hate each other. But then in reality, <laughs> like they're, they're down to the local pub, just like sharing a pint yeah. because they're people, right. And they understand mm-hmm. that this is just like what they, what they have to portray for, for the public. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think, I think if, if that was more aware or like if more people understood that it doesn't have to be as strict as right and wrong, I think that'd be uh, I think we would have a better, a better world <laughs> to be honest with you. Well, we'd get a little bit closer to say the least. Yes. Yes, exactly. All right. I think that's a, that's a reasonable place, reasonable place to end. I think that that's a, sure, a good natural conclusion. Graham, I really appreciate you coming on. I, <laughs> no had worries, a lot man. More, I had a lot more fun than I thought I was going to. I woke up a little Good bit stuff. groggy this morning. So, and that's not a, that's not a slight to you. Maybe that's a slight yeah, to no worries. being underestimating no worries. of the amazing capacity of people. So thank you very much. For sure. No worries, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.